Tony. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm really, really good. Just uh, finished up some stuff. Had a pretty busy day. It's pretty awesome. Um, just feels good to be alive and not pushing up daisies. How are you? I'm doing good. Same thing. Uh, been working a lot outside after the rains here in Southern California and getting things cleaned up. Right. Well, you know, there's there's been such hoopla going on. So many people are so upset about how expensive their utilities are. And I contacted you because, like it or not, I consider you the expert in the area of, like, <clears throat> energy and resource management with your land and everything else. So, you know, I called you because we've talked about it before, just using like some of these uh, different products that have solar generators and panels. And, but I'm actually really thinking like, what would it take for me to go off grid, but not be connected to the grid and not go with these solar companies. So I wanted to pick your brain tonight and get some get some thoughts from you because I know you've looked deep and hard into this and what do you think it would take? Like how many, how do we figure this out? What is the kilowatts needed? Um, can we do it? Is it, should we use lithium ion phosphate, lithium polymer? Should we go back to wet cells? Uh, how many solar panels? What do we need? Take it away. <laughs> well, um, there's a ton of, as always, there's a ton of resources online and, and people should, look around for some resources in general about what they want to do off grid. But I, I think the best thing, I think it's, it's great that you're looking at doing it. Um, I, I haven't made the switch to off grid and I, I very much want to, but you and I have talked and it's, it's something that's on my roadmap for sure to try to get off grid. As you said, utility prices are way too expensive and uh, only going to get worse. So the independence of having your own your own power station is is huge. It's it's uh it's uh it's a really it's a really good thing, and I think it in the long run it's going to be better for for many many people to do it. So if you if you poke around there there's and look at kind of off grid, you'll see a lot of people do kind of off grid living, and and usually it tends to be someone that's really remote. They have no access to grid power, and um they tend to build smaller scale systems and, and that can work. Um, and really when it would, the things that you just touched on are really all you need to understand is what's your, what's your power storage requirement, what's your power generation requirement. And, and those two things are going to be determined by what your consumption is. And so the lower your consumption footprint, the, the lower, you know, the smaller the system you're going to need. So um, there is a, there's a ratio of solar, uh, solar wattage to battery storage. And then some of that's going to vary. Um, so, so let's just take a situation where just covering the basics for maybe people who aren't, haven't thought about it, but anytime you're, I mean, even with, even with clouded daylight, your solar power, your, your solar um, panels are going to generate some energy but usually not a lot so if you're if you get into a situation so in the winter months you're not going to generate as much power so you need to factor that into your system and you need to compensate for it either by trying to reduce your energy consumption so you're not using as much energy during the winter or you have you just have a big enough system that even during winter time and again this this is going to vary depending on where you live uh geographically um 
that's going to, you know, that's going to determine how much sunlight you have in a, in a given period. And you want to have enough battery storage so that if you get a, a period of bad weather where you're clouded out for several days, you don't run out of juice. Now, there's some options to deal with that too. You can have uh, propane, diesel, even gas generators that you could run in a situation to back up or charge up to float your batteries. If you were, let's say you, you burn down your battery consumption, you know, your batteries were effectively too low and your solar system couldn't charge back because you were using too much. You could have a backup behind that as well. That's not great because that's another cost. That's another component, but there are some options to get around it, but really it all boils down to what's your, what's your power consumption? Um, you know, what are you using? And, and what's really interesting about the whole thing is um, you've got the old adage where you're, you're running around chasing your wife or your husband or whatever, telling them to shut the, you, I think usually it's your, you're chasing your wife around, shut the damn lights off, right? Um, every little light that you keep on, every little device that you keep on, parasitic devices, which are really, really bad right now. So there's people just keep everything plugged in and just constantly draw. Um, those things, you, you need to eradicate those from whatever you're doing. And you, and, and, and if you go off grid, I've, I've watched enough videos about it and people, you know, sharing their stories, you get very, very, uh, disciplined about who runs what, cause you can't just leave the TV on all night. You can't just leave, you know, a floodlight on all night, um, you know, burning a hundred Watts or something if it's not doing something very specific, you know, low intensity LEDs and stuff like that, 10 Watts, that's, that's what you want to target, but it makes you very, very conscientious about energy. Cause it, it's a, it's a resource. And, and, you know, we take it in, in modern day, we just take it completely for granted. You flip the light, light comes on. It's always going to come on. That's, you know, it's not always the case. Yeah. Those are excellent points. So, what would it take? I mean, how do people come up with a mathematical equation for what they need? Like, where do we get that data for the amount of um, banks that they need, solar banks and battery cells and so on? How, how do people come up with that? Yeah, there are calculators online. Um, those are some of the easiest ways to do it. Um, you can even just take, a, take out a you know, pen and paper, write down all your major appliances, fridge, freezer, washer, dryer, microwave lights if you if you're if you're good enough you can you can inventory all these things and i did this when i got my first solar system and and i did some estimates about what my consumption is if you, if you ever work with a solar company that's just going to put solar on your roof they generally do that um, and there's websites again that will walk you through um, the process of itemizing all of your power consumptions and it, it, it'll roughly you know, it'll, it'll get you in the, in the ballpark. There's a couple of really cool pieces of technology. There's a system called sense S E N S E. Um, I'm, I'm not endorsing them. <laughs> I just use their product. Um, and it's a pretty cool, um, smart in power meter. And basically the, the sense meter I use, um, it shows power consumption and it shows power generation for solar. Um, you don't need solar or any of those to get a sense system like that. There are a couple hundred bucks, I believe. The nice thing is there's no subscription. I don't, I don't do subscriptions. So um, you you pay for it, and then the and then the device basically hooks up to your power meter, 
and it's smart enough. It kind of uses algorithms to detect if you've if you're running um, your microwave versus some LED lights. And it, it looks at the watt consumption and it looks at how long it's running. It looks at the frequency of the device as well. And, and it can do a decent job of telling you, you know, what's on and, and how much it's drawing. Like I'm, I'm looking at mine right now and I can, I can see my, uh, my, a set of led lights that I have in my, in my bedroom are on, they're drawing 309 watts. Um, so that gives you a good idea of your consumption. And it also would kind of, it would log all of that for you until you could see, where you're using power, where you could save power, you could you can in theory find you know anything parasitic that was drawing power. So things like that are a good way to, to figure out what your consumption is. But you've got to start with that consumption, and you got to look at that throughout the day. Once you have that consumption down, you can figure out how much storage you might need for say two days with no solar power. Um, that so there's some benchmarks like that that they that they recommend and it and this depends on your area wherever you're at if you're in an area where you could get uh, over class over overcast periods for a week or two weeks then uh, without any sunlight at all to to recharge your system your you know to to recharge your battery system you'll have to factor you know factor that into to where you're at the other thing is just where you're where you're lo located. Uh, in the United States or wherever you are, if you're north or south, uh, that's going to affect your your sun intensity. So you obviously closer to the equator, you're going to get longer sun, longer days. Um, as you go further away from the equator, you're gonna you're gonna lose that. Okay, so let's talk let's talk for a moment about battery systems. This is like, this is so huge. And I know it gets really diversified. It gets very expensive. But the, the battery tech technology is, is pretty phenomenal, especially when, I mean, from what I understand, that the, the lithium iron phosphate is like the best. You can get 3,500 cycles out of it versus the lithium polymer. Is that true? And what about these wet cells? It's really hard for me to keep up with all the battery technology, to be honest. Um, I look for kind of battery storage per amp hour based on price and, and uh, reputation. Um, I'm, I'm looking at a company right now called Signature Solar. They've got really, really nice rack mounted batteries. So these are batteries, if you know, if you think of a server rack, um, these are rack mountable batteries. They're, they're all lithium. Um, I think they're lithium um, phosphate batteries. They, they're rated for a certain number of cycles. Um, they're swappable from that standpoint. And so they're a little bit modular and they store nicely. Um, and they're pretty D DIY. You can put these systems together yourself. You can wire them up pretty easily yourself. You don't need an electrician necessarily. Although if you haven't worked around battery systems, I'd, I'd recommend it because you are dealing with some higher voltages. You're usually going to be targeting kind of 48 volt systems. Is, is about the standard right now for these for these off-grid systems. So they look for a targeted 48 volts. Um, so it's it's not it's not nothing. It's not your 12 volt car battery. It can you know it can shock you if you if you make a mistake with it or something. So do be careful if you ever if you're ever trying to you're tinkering with a 48 volt system. Um, so I I don't have a you know, a loyalty to one of these lithium types over another, but I, I do kind of look at reputation, 
who's selling the best, the rated cycles. Uh, this company, Signature Solar, they're rated their systems at 7,000 cycles. So that means you could fully charge and fully drain the system 7,000 times. And then I think there's a rating on how much degradation it would have. They're basically designed to last about 15 years and get you about 80% um, efficiency at the end of that 15 years. So you will have to replace batteries. Lithium doesn't last forever, but also to a certain extent, if you, the, the, the less load you put on those batteries. So if you're only lowering those batteries, say to 70%, 80, you know, 60%, and you're not constantly depleting those batteries a hundred, you know, fully, you're going to have a, a, probably a longer life out of, out of those batteries, but they do, they do, you know, they will deplete over time. Okay. So what, what are we talking roughly for say a home like mine with average utilities, really not running AC? What do you think we're talking for your original, your uh, investment? Do you, uh, do you know how much wattage you're using in a, or watt hours, kilowatt hours you're using? Yeah. Um, so I had this at one time, but I don't have it right now. It's, it's, it's going to be difficult to, to nail that number down. We could, we could pull some rough numbers. Um, but really you'll, you most, I think most homes right now, um, that are getting battery systems that, that are charged with solar. So you got to be careful too, because some people are getting battery systems with solar, um, but they're purely as a backup source. So they'll, they'll, they'll be available and they're still getting floated off of grid power. So they're not completely grid, uh, you know, off grid, they're grid tied. They're still a hybrid grid tied system. So, um, and as soon as you go into the realm of saying off grid, you're going to, a lot of people are going to look at you a little, a little funny, um, <laughs> because very few people really do it. And, um, because it, it, it is a step you're, you're taking a big leap. As soon as you shut down, you know, and you go off grid and we should probably take a moment and just talk about the municipal aspect of not having power at your home, depending on where you live, what city, what County. Um, I do think there's some requirements about whether you can, so you got to be real careful again, if you, if you tried to install an off-grid system, um, if you're built, if you're pulling permits for it, you're probably going to get into some interesting waters, you know, some interesting, um, situations with, with county and city builders. And I, I can't speak to that for, from each county or city. And I, I haven't run into it yet. Again, I haven't went off grid. I live pretty rural. Um, so I don't have a, I don't have neighbors. I don't have a, a, I'm out of, I'm in an unincorporated area as well. So I don't, I don't have as much hurdle to go through with that, but, um, you do need to be careful a little bit about that and, and it probably should do a little bit of research about how local building permits might respond to, to you trying to structure a, a system like that and shut down. You're, you know, it's, it's, it's even the California penal codes. I was looking at penal codes in California for going off grid, they have laws against it in general, but it's it's not illegal. But the the amount of paperwork and bureaucracy that you have to go through to acquire these things, 
that's why a lot of people are just like, they're almost like getting purposely thrown out of the system by not paying bills. <laughs> I mean, I've read all kinds of interesting blogs. It's, it's really interesting what's going on. Huh? Yeah. I, I mean, I'd be careful about getting on anyone's radar though, for sure. I don't know if I would, if I'd want to not pay bills because then you, you're, you know, you're, it, it might be more interesting to just keep your, you know, keep your meter running effectively, but, but scale significantly down your power consumption. So if you were, could be in this, in this hybrid mode where maybe you had solar, you had a battery system and you took from your electrical panel, you, you rerouted a lot of those major appliances or those circuit breakers over to that off grid system and you left the rest of it running. So your, you know, your energy consumption on grid would be really low. And I think the flexibility could be there if you, if you had grid power, like I said, to float your, your battery system, you could always just plug them in to the grid <laughs> and charge them up. And so, I mean, in your case, I, you know, you're, you're not too rural. And so you've got the opportunity to do both. So I, I, you might be able to do something like that. That might be a little easier with a bit of a hybrid system. You know, it's uh, it's interesting because I did look into that, like staying connected and just having enough just to run certain things. Um, everybody's talking who does that says you, you cannot go from a six hundred dollar bill, you know, utility bill to like one hundred twenty five. Like overnight, you have to actually gradually go into it because that flags these companies. But it's really interesting um, with my bill, for example, there's from Edison, there's an eighty dollar. I don't understand that there's two different charges. One is a carrier. It's like moving the juice, I guess, from Edison to point. I don't know. But anyway, it's like $80 just from Edison and then another $80 just for this company that transfers it to my house. It, it, I'm going, this is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, we could have a whole podcast on how bad the utility system is in the great state of California. Um, you, uh, California moved to this company called, well... I don't want to, I don't want to misinform anyone either, but the company's called CPA or clean power Alliance. Uh huh. And, and basically they came in and lobbied Edison. Um, and if you've ever called Edison and talked to some folks there, and I've, I've talked to a few of them, they're not fans of clean power Alliance at all. So it, it created this intermediary between Edison and the customer you could argue whether Edison was doing a good job before or not, but Clean Power Alliance has this heavy reliance on cleaner energy. So they're supposed to be predominantly using wind and solar. And they give people the option to um, choose that on their bill and pay a much, much higher rate, even though your rates did go up anyway, because now Edison has to charge CPA for transmission, but they, but they still have to provide some power in there as well. And now you've effectively got two companies trying to manage your utility system and your utility bills. It's, it's a mess. Um, and it's only getting worse for people that have solar, even that are grid tied, because there's a couple of bills right now that were just passed um, by, by California, by the California Senate that uh, impose and, and push people out of these net metering programs. And net metering is basically where you generate an excess amount of energy during the day, which most people, most systems do. And then at night you sell, you, you draw uh, grid power to cover because your, your system, your solar system is not generating any, any power. So you draw it off the grid and net meter balances those two out. So you have no bill. 
um, and they're putting they're putting pressure on people who have solar um, under net metering. It's called net metering 3.0. And as California goes, many other states go. So you have to watch some of these things because they, they may be arriving at a state near you. And effectively, what it's doing is it's making it harder for someone who invested money in solar. Um, and I've had solar now um, since uh, 2008, I think. I've been on, on solar, at least grid-tied solar systems. And, and so it, but it penalizes people that made those initial investments if you purchased it. A lot of people lease the systems and do these other weird things, which I wouldn't advocate at all. Um, Cause I think you get, you end up paying extra fees to these, to these solar companies that want to put, you know, I'll, I'll put solar panels on your roof and it'll lower your bill and you won't have to pay anything. Um, I, I don't, I've never been an advocate of that. I think you ought to just pay for it because you can lower, you can lower your energy bill by, by going to solar. Um, but it, it's getting harder and harder to do that. And that's what net metering 3.0 looks like it's, it's doing. And that's one of the reasons that I'm really motivated to, to try to completely pull the plug or at least get, a semblance of off-grid power. And, you know, I, I know so many people, so many friends of ours went solar, some went lease, some went buyout, some went whatever, all the different programs. <clears throat> and I'm just hearing so many nightmare stories. My, my daughter lives in Fillmore. They have solar. They got hit with a $750 bill because they went a little bit over their allowance. Just, I mean, barely went over their allowance, allowed amount. They had like a $750 bill one month. And they have solar. Uh, another friend of ours, um, they're with this contract that where they're supposed to come and maintain their panels. Well, the panels stopped working. The inverters went out three months. They never, they were never producing electricity, and they got hit so hard with electric with an electric bill. And it was like, where are these people? They they're not even coming out doing the repairs. They got a million and one excuses. And I'm just hearing all these stories. It's like, oh man, I was thinking about pulling the trigger way back when, but I'm glad I didn't. Yeah, there's a lot of horror stories out there. Um, so uh, the, the the company that that I worked with that that did solar here is uh, they were a good company, and and so I mean I'd I'd recommend them. I don't know if I want to plug for them, but um, the uh, they they stood behind things so far, and and in general solar so a solar panel not usually not much can go wrong with the solar panel um it's uh it's it's silica and it's it's just it's just generating power when it's exposed to the sun you know a photo photovoltaic the the inverters are the weak spot almost yeah. always in the system that's and, exactly what i'm hearing yeah and now now what do you know about the micro inverters per panel versus just going with a big large inverter yeah, so that's a big topic on choice. It's it's a little more expensive to use microinverters, um, but it, it does give you some redundancy, and it does optimize. It optimizes the power generation across an array. So if you have fifty panels, and let's say you have a cloud passing over, and it's it's casting a shadow on your panels, you'll see some spikes and dips in the efficiency of the of the panels. The microinverters allow each panel to kind of stay optimized and push maximum amount of, of wattage versus uh, running it all through a single inverter. Um, I think microinverters are, are good. It will it will increase the cost a bit, um, but it's nice. I, I especially think it would be good if you were doing a DIY system 
and and I don't know how many people are going to actually get up on the roof and mount panels or or build an array, you know, ground mount array or something. But um, microinverters are nice because they they tend to be pretty hot swappable and easy to maintain. So if you lose an inverter, you can swap it out. Um, more and more of these systems have really good diagnostics, so they tell you if a panel's out, they alert you, um, and you can you can fix it on your own, um, which is ultimately the way to do it having to wait three months is is crazy like sure <laughs> you know and um, there's there's a company in california it's a, it's a it's a woman-owned company uh and this lady what she did was she started making these over the driveway solar panel like stands there's just like these 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 what the heck am i trying to say here eric they're like they're nothing more than steel frame solar panel um stands I can't think of anything else to call them, but they, they hold them up and it's like, this is amazing because now you're shading your driveway, you're shading your vehicles. And yet the amount of panels that they can, they're better than what you can put on your roof and they're far easier to maintain. And for those people, this is just what I'm hearing from those people that like, they want to put solar panels on their roof. Now you have to maybe have your roof redone. You got to repaper it. You got to reinforce it. You might have to put some extra buffering behind it, uh, more joists. There's like there's some really crazy things going on with with uh, what they're with the regulatory commission on what they're doing for solar panels. Some of these people that want to go solar now have to rebuild their roofs. So I think that's a really good alternative to have these 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 canopies, so to speak, over your driveway. And they're holding almost, if not just as many solar panels that go on your roof. And you're also, you have a car, you have a carport now. Yeah, that's a great idea. I'm, I'm looking at a Forbes article that looks like it's covering that. It's a solar carport, they're calling it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, effectively, a solar carport is just a ground mount system that's elevated. And the nice thing about ground mount systems, like you said, there's no reliance on your roof to, to hold your system. And as long as you've got space to create the ground mount system, in this case, you're, you're, you know, dual purposing your carport or create, you know, creating a carport and the shade for it. It's, it's great. Um, I, I could imagine a lot of um, homeowners associations uh, shooting this down though, because they don't want. Oh, oh for sure. Yeah. Um, that, that would be another reason to get away from those, but I mean, if you, man, I don't know. I just see that as, as a wave of the future once you once you go past homeowners association. And I, I, I can really, I can empathize with people that live in homeowners association because I lived in a place one time and I went on vacation. I was gone for two weeks. I came back. I had a $350 fine for a three and a half inch wheat. And I am not exaggerating. They said, we warned you. I go, I was out of town. And they said, but you got weeds in your driveway. I go, dude, here's a picture. It's like, it's less than three inches. What are you talking about? And they wanted to find me $300. Oh my gosh. These people, little Gestapos. That's a hundred dollars an inch, Tony. Seriously. That's like Viagra on steroids. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't, uh, I can't do homeowners and, uh, and, and any of that anymore. You know, having gotten away from it now, it's just, uh, I, it's infuriating to have, I think everyone needs their own space to do their own things. Um, yeah, obviously, you got to stay within bounds to a certain extent, but uh, yeah. Uh, so, so out here in beautiful Cass State, California, I do not have a homeowners association. So people, they park their RVs in their driveway sometimes. 
Um, you know, they paint their house, whatever color they want. We don't, I mean, nobody's crazy. Like everybody kind of keeps it pretty nice, congruent looking, but some Yahoo up the street got so ticked off at these people parking their boats and their RVs and their driveways that they got the County of Los Angeles to come out and send a scathing letter to every single person saying you could be fined $20,000 if you don't have your boat or your RV behind a fence. So everybody got very creative. You know what they did? They built the fence all the way down to the sidewalk. <laughs> there you go. I'm telling you. I love it. Yeah, it's you great. You got to just like, oh my gosh. It's behind the fence. <laughs> these, these, it's like, it's just, you can't. My grandfather used to say, you're not going to fight City Hall. And my dad would say, the hell I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So coming back to your question about how you'd start, you, you really, you've got to do that inventory. You got to do the homework. Um, you need to, you need to either inventory every single thing that you're using power for. And, and it's, it's hard. It's not easy. I mean, the first thing I did is I walked around the house with a pad of paper and I tried to write everything down. That's a good first step. Um, it might capture everything, but there, there could be things that you're not thinking of if they're, if they're drawing power parasitically. So, um, I, I actually like that Sense product. You can, you can buy them direct. Um, I think it's sense.com. And um, they're not too difficult to install. But if you if you don't know what you're doing electrically, you can have an electrician install one. Might cost you, you know, a half hour uh, labor or something like that. And it's got a phone app. So you, you can, you know, you can pull up on your phone. It's got a, it's got a computer browser app. So that gives you a really good idea about what, what you're doing even before you go to solar. Cause it, it'll give you the data and, and the intelligence to know, um, you know, where you're at. Of course, you can always just look at your past bills. Um, and that's what, if you, if you work with a solar company, that's the first thing they're going to ask you is they're going to ask for 12 months of bills. And, uh, and they're going to run some numbers based on your, your kilowatt hour usage. Yeah. And they're going to, they're going to size a system for you. Um, usually they're not going to give you a battery system and it's not going to be off grid. Um, if, if you, you talk to any, any solar company or installer and you tell them you want a completely off grid system, um, they're going to, oh, they'll, they'll tell you there's no way. Yeah. Well, they, they won't tell you there's no way. They're just going to tell you it's going to be really expensive compared and, and yeah. they're, and some of them are not. They don't have a lot of experience doing them, so I'd be careful with those. What about what about the Tesla walls? Yeah, so those Tesla walls are are not wired to be completely off grid. They're wired in a hybrid mode, um, and and a lot of battery systems are are connected like that. So what ends up happening is they sit in between your your grid power and and your home, if you will, electrically. Um, they they do get charged from grid power, but they also can obviously be charged from your solar panels and then certain circuits of your home get designated on that power wall. Um, so one of the things that you need to be cognizant of is let's say you've got, um, a five, a five ton air conditioning system, uh, and, and you, it's, it's, a you know, hot Southern California day and you fire up that air conditioner. The, the initial draw on that system is going to completely destroy um, most battery banks. And I don't know, I don't know if the Tesla Powerwall can keep up with, um, a 240 volt HVAC system, system kicking on. 
it, it has to be able to handle a significant draw and, and that's what they don't always build for. So your inverters have to be able to, to convert that much energy. So you're going, you're going from 48 volts to 240 volts, that conversion electrically that's happening is generates a lot of heat. Um, and especially on the initial startup, once it gets running, it, the draw isn't as significant, but your batteries also have to be able to deplete really significantly and push a lot of amperage. Right. So that's where you have to have a really beefy system. You have to have really large gauge wire, um, like two uh, wire or, or larger, you know, depending on how you scale it. These are really, you know, batter, you know, this is like, you know, the, these make your, your battery, you know, connectors look, look like spaghetti on some of these wires because you need right. a significant amount of, of pathway for that electricity to, to move from the battery to the inverter. Once it gets to the inverter and the voltage is scaled up, it's, it's not as, it's not as, uh, it's not as big, but, um, right. but, but generally you're going to see these systems store power at about 48 volts. Um, from what I've seen, that seems to be kind of a popular, um, way to store it. And, and the other way to go in, in dealing with energy consumption and use is um, you look at these earth homes. You look at how they're designed, like Cody Lindeen. Um, he lives in Arizona. He has a s somewhat subterranean home built in the side of a mountain. He has, he has copper tubing running, I think it's like 20 to 30 feet underground. And what it does is he has a very low draw solar system that pumps air through this thing it, from the night air and it cools down these tubes and all that and brings them into this, this holding area, this holding area. And throughout the day, it pumps it back up into the house. So the house stays at like an even 69, 70 degrees all day long, just from the system. And it's literally one third the amount of electricity needed for these heavy air conditioner units that we're familiar with, that we run in our houses daily. And what they do for uh, heat during the night is he, up in the upper story, they have this one room that it's just all black rocks with this huge pane windows. And that whole area is insulated from the rest of the house. And it just gets, it's an inductor that just gets so hot. So throughout the night, it does the reverse thing. It blows the warm air through the house, through very low draw fan system. And they keep the house, at the, this temperature just goes on and on. Just like if it could be 110 outside, it could be it could be zero degrees. But the way this works, it's so efficient. It's an earth home design, and I'm just seeing with massive amounts of insulation facing the facing the sun, um, being subterranean partially. I don't know. It's pretty cool. I, I really like the idea of these designs of these homes. Yeah, those are really really cool um, geothermal cooling that you're talking about, and and those earth ships. Um, Earth ships, yeah, I looked at that project too. Yeah, so and you you can even do um, you can do some really interesting things with geothermal cooling and heating. Um, it just it it gets a little expensive, and it comes in, you know at, at anyone in a residential you know track home is not going to be able to leverage that because they just they don't they're not they're not building for one they're not building homes usually to that level of efficiency. Although I, I guess the efficiencies are, you know, getting a little bit better, um, but uh, insulation, you know, um, window insulation is getting better. But you to do any kind of geothermal cooling, you either got to go vertical and 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 drill 
tubes vertically, um, or you've got to lay those tubes out at a significant depth uh, that you're gonna you're gonna move either air or or a liquid through. Um, I've seen some really in interesting ones that use that use uh, poly polyline, basically a, kind of a buried poly uh, vinyl uh, tubing, and you'll move almost like an antifreeze coolant through there as a heat pump. Huh. Um, so those are really interesting. You don't want to have a failure because those things are buried. You know they're they're buried twenty, thirty feet underground usually. So repairing those things or having a failure is is not good. But um, yeah, we we really need to get back to those techniques because they use so their energy efficiency is so much better on them, as you said. Oh yeah, um, and and like you said, the earth ships and the earth homes, and and there's even a company out here in California. My son and I we're going to go visit it in a couple months where they're just making all of these, um, these almost just earth homes are just made out of like straw and dirt and earth. And, and supposedly they hold up way better in earthquakes than, than even our regular stick built or metal frame built ones way better. Uh, so it's kind of interesting what they're doing and how they're kind of like going back right, to right. What, what was then, but you know, we are pretty much out of time. I wanted to keep it kind of relatively short and i think we've gone a little over but my goodness this has been a plethora of information really appreciate you and is there anything you'd like to add or say uh, before we bid our guests farewell that's it hope everyone has a good night yeah thank you eric excellent thank you for your information and uh just a little plug for for our group uh, pathfinders man scouts we do everything from a to z we just had a really interesting class on thermal uh, protection, thermal uh, evasion and hiding. And um, it was really great. You can check us out at manscouts.com. That's pathfindersmanscouts.com. You'll see a link down below. And uh, we'll be linking some of the other stuff, some of the things that Eric was talking about. We'll be talk we'll even link out Earthship and some of these Earth homes. And um, and what was that system that you said for analyzing your home? Uh, Sense.com. Okay. Uh, yeah, we'll put a plug out there for those guys too. But Eric, thank you so much. Appreciate you. And we're looking forward to the next podcast. Sounds good, Tony. Take care. All. Have, a, have a good night.